0: Uh, Lord, you've given us a profound and a practical word, and uh, we pray that we get both ends of that tonight in John uh, 14, and that you would speak deeply uh, to our hearts. Um, So be with us now and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the worst thing imaginable for these disciples is about to occur. Jesus is leaving. They don't understand, and I think if we put ourselves in their sandals, we can understand that. Um, Only one of them responds in this passage, it's Judas, not Iscariot. It's the only thing he says in Scripture. And uh, the NIV translates his question with a why. He doesn't ask a why question, he asks, how is this possible? He asks a how question, I don't get it. How can you do this? How can you make yourself known to us and not to the world? I'm confused. How is this possible? He's the only one who speaks, and perhaps the rest of them are just too sad to say anything. Perhaps too confused. They need time. Jesus is leaving. John 13, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, commenced with the wonderful affirmation, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Well, this doesn't feel like love. John 14, 15 and following feels like abandonment. I will not leave you as orphans, he says, but that's what they're feeling. They feel abandoned. Abandoned. John 14 gives us words for tough times when it doesn't make sense. Rationally, spiritually, tumultuous times when the world seems to fall apart. Imagine having known Jesus for three years or so. Every day, perhaps, musing, listening, walking, sleeping, working with Jesus. They have listened to and watched the full of grace and truth Messiah, the greatest human ever, the most comfortable, rock-like figure, and now he says he's leaving. They've marveled at his signs and his wisdom. There is no one like Jesus, and he's going. And not only that, he says, and you can't come with me. He's been present, he will be absent. He's going, they can't go with him. He tells them the dark prince of the world is coming. This is the hour. He loves them, but he's leaving them, and it doesn't feel like he loves them. What are disciples of Jesus to do When our experience of God is disappointing or anxious or worried or calamitous. How are we to love Jesus when we're so unsure? And it's in that context, I think, that the singular emphasis of this section of John is quite special. He says to them four times, if you love me, obey me. Verse 15, verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. 23, whoever loves me will obey my teaching. 24, the reverse, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Jesus equates discipleship love with faithful obedience. And in 28 and 29, he adds the words, Believe in me, rejoice with me, but four times he says, Obey me, obey me, obey me. Now we'll talk about obedience for a little while because I think we've driven quite a gap between love and obedience in our current world. Love can mean pretty fluffy things, it's a good feeling word. We talk a lot about God's love. But the word obedience, that's a a pretty bad rap in our culture, as though it's a restrictive word, an imposed word, uh, a word about loss of freedom. But Jesus equates love and obedience very carefully in this passage. We've already said uh, in John that love is loyalty. It's the opposite of betrayal. Judas betrays Jesus. To love Jesus is to be loyal to him. That's one Johnine expression of love. But tonight, love is obedience. And it's obedience when particularly the times are tough and you don't feel loved. Love is a vast word with multiple and profound meanings. But clearly in John... Love is more than words, it's more than emotions, it's more than intentions, it's more than inspiration or attraction, it's more than thoughts. That's sort of what Mike was talking about before, I was quite amazed that you came up with this very practical expression of Christian love, people want to know what you do and who you follow, particularly when the going gets tough. Discipleship love is obedience. And obedience to Jesus in Scripture, even when it seems as though everything's falling apart, is the freest expression that it can possibly be. It's not restriction. It's not enslavement. It's actually the way, the truth, and the life. The grounds for our obedience... John 31, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And even when it doesn't feel that way, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us. And our love for Jesus in return is obedience. Keep hearing his word, keep calling him Lord. Keep doing his will. Keep trusting and persevering. Keep wrestling into your responsibilities and obey Jesus. That's the disciples' side, I think, of love. What about the love of Jesus in John 14, 15 and following? Well, what Jesus says in John 14, 15 and following is quite remarkable And he promises the disciples that though he is leaving for a short time, everything that his presence has meant to them up to now, his comfort, his strength, his holiness, his wisdom, his teaching, his peace, his grace, his compassion, everything his presence has meant to them till now is about to be increased and intensified everything his presence has meant is about to be greater he's about to be more present more intimate and more wonderful and in 14 16 and 17 jesus says i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth and the word another, I will give you another advocate, is really important because Jesus is saying, I have been your advocate and another one is coming. Now, this word advocate, sometimes it's translated by the uh, translators of scripture as comforter, sometimes as friend, sometimes as helper. People have pointed out over the generations that it Has legal connotations of somebody defending you in a courtroom and speaking for you and representing your cause. But I like the word advocate. Often in the disability sector, and uh, with Jera, and as we've been talking about caring and supporting, the word advocacy comes up. Jera, vulnerable people, poor people. People with weakness need advocates. Advocates are a strong word. They need someone to speak for them, represent them. Somebody who's loving, powerful, competent, present. Jesus says another advocate is coming. And in saying that, he says to the disciples, I have been your advocate. I've been here as your helper, your friend, your comforter. Right alongside you, leading you, teaching you. I've been strong and faithful and trustworthy. I've been Lord and saviour, comforter and counsellor. I've been your advocate and I'm sending another one who will be with you and in you forever. His presence, everything that has meant Jesus says is about to be intensified and more wonderful than it's ever been. Now we know this advocate now, and he's named in John, as God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a while tonight. And through John 15 and 16, Jesus will say a lot more about the Spirit's person and work Here, the spirit is called the spirit of truth. That's fantastic. Uh, That's not just meaning the spirit is the spirit of facts or rationality, as though truths are principles. He's the spirit with integrity. He's the spirit who's faithful. He's the spirit who cannot lie. He's the spirit of strong covenantal commitment and promise-keeping. He's the spirit of truth. And the word helper, which is sometimes used of the spirit, that's a great word. Psalm 121, Lord, you are my helper. It's a strong word, which means you're on my side, you protect me, you keep me, you travel with me, you journey with me. Uh, helper is strong. It's not servant, though it does conate that, but it's protector. The Spirit is a helper, a protector, who comes alongside to lift up, to comfort, support and be with. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's be clear. In the Gospel of John, there is nothing unknown or vague about the Holy Spirit because in John, the Spirit is the person of Jesus, no longer embodied except in his people. The Spirit is everything Jesus is. We've heard and seen Jesus in John. We've heard his words. We've seen his works and his signs, his truth, his wisdom, his strength. He is the first strong helper. He is the advocate who is leaving, but he's sending an advocate who is himself, the Spirit, to continue saying and doing what Jesus has been saying and doing. And in a way that was not possible for Rabbi Jesus because Jesus was incarnate and embodied in his humanness and the Spirit will now come and incarnate himself and embody himself in his people, his disciples, Christ's disciples. He will teach them as Jesus has taught them. He will help them as Jesus has helped them. And because of the Spirit the disciples will have even more wondrous and intimate relationship with god than ever before and in 14:20 jesus then blows our minds with this word the niv translates you will realize that's not very good it's you will know um realize is a sort of a soft word I think know is an intimate loving word it's the most intimate word in scripture to know someone you will know I am in my father you are in me and I am in you three knowings you will know I am in my father you are in me and I am in you this morning at Wynmalee, we had this passage, and uh, for the kids' talk, Ian Fryer took a, a glass of juice and a glass of water, and the juice was quite rich red, and he poured the water into the juice, and he said, now you've got the juice in the water and the water in the juice, and you can't separate them, can you? They've changed each other with their mutual in Jesus said, I am in my Father, you disciples are in me, and I am in you. Jesus promises that the advocacy that has been alongside them will now be within them and within the relationship of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Their lives will be in the Trinity, and the Trinity will be in them through the Spirit. If you were a Jewish disciple of a rabbi in the first century, this is unthinkable. You've got images of the all-consuming God of fire on Mount Sinai, rumbling mountains. And Moses actually says to the people, don't touch the mountain, because if you do, you'll die. You can't come close. Some can, special chosen people like Moses, but most can't. Now Jesus is not saying you'll be close to God. He's saying God will be in you and you will be in God. The intimacy of this is remarkable Far from leaving them as orphans, their very identity will be forever shaped by the most intimate relationship imaginable, living with and in Father, Son and Spirit together. This is not just a vertical individual in this. It's a horizontal. We're all in this together. We're all in Christ. We're the body of Christ The Spirit is among us and in us, gifting, as he will, building the body of Christ. This changes you to God and you to us. It changes everything. Far from leaving them as orphans, in verse 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. You don't just have a home, you are God's home, yourself. You are God's home. And when Paul prays in Ephesians 3, he prays that Jesus will be comfortable in his new home, which is your heart and the heart of the church. Far from leaving them as orphans, Jesus says, if I don't leave for a little while, nothing's going to get better but I've got something really good in store for you. We're going to come and live with you forever and in you all forever. And you will share that in in the church. Here are the grounds for the promise of peace in verse 27 where Jesus says, Peace, I live with you all. My peace, I give to you all. Not as the world gives, So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. I'm your advocate and I'll never leave you. These are the grounds for the disciples' love and obedience, joy and trust. And they are the grounds for our love and obedience, joy and trust. There are times when life feels And the experience of life that we have, really difficult. And some of us are going through hard times now with very serious sickness and very challenging family or friendship or personal situations. It doesn't feel, necessarily, as though Jesus loves you. But these words in John 14 are for such times... And holding on to the love of Jesus means obeying him, believing in him, and rejoicing in him. Our identity is bound up in the inness of God with us. Comforter and friend, helper and teacher. As a church and individually, this is what gives us hope and joy. And the fuel for obedience in the greatest challenges of life. So where this teaching goes in the New Testament is to the pinnacle passage of Romans 8. And I just wanted to highlight some of the work of the Spirit and the Son and the Father in Romans 8. And then I want to pause and ask us to work through some situations in our own lives perhaps. Just in the quietness of our head before we have a wider conversation Romans eight twenty seven 27 tells us that the spirit helps us he's our helper when we're weak Paul writes we don't know what to pray but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words I imagine all of us have been in situations where there was no words Words just felt hollow. There were no words. Romans 8 says the Spirit finds the words, intercedes with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit is our advocate in prayer when we're at our weakest. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray. There are no words. The Spirit prays. Wow. And Paul goes on to say the Spirit prays for the saints according to the will of God because the Spirit is God. Not only does he pray for us, but he prays exactly the stuff we need prayed because he knows what God's doing and we don't. He's our advocate. When words won't do, there are no words. 831, if God is for us, who can be against us? There is no greater advocate. 834, Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Christ intercedes from within us. Christ intercedes at the throne of God. He is our advocate in heaven and our advocate on the earth. This is why Jesus said, look, it's better if I go for a little while. I'm going to come back and everything's going to be intensified and more intimate than ever. 837, in all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And I've often pointed out that 837 doesn't say from all these things. We are more than conquerors, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Sometimes, and Paul experienced this himself, and certainly Jesus did at the cross, sometimes the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword are not taken away, but in them we conquer. There is no promise in Scripture of a trouble-free life. There is promise of advocacy in trouble. Strong help. Grace more than conquering in all these things. That little in there is really important. Not from, but in. Sometimes we think, God, you're not hearing my prayers. And Paul, three times, you know, please take this thorn away. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, and I'm content with that. In fact, he said, well, one translation says I'm delighted. I I think that's a bit strong. (laughs) Literally, it says I'm well content. That that will do. (laughs) I don't think we find delight in times of terror. I found, he says, contentment, and he had to learn it. 838, 39, I am sure, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, powers, heights, depths, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing in all creation, past, present or future, nothing. Angels, rulers, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's where John 14 goes in terms of the experience of the first century church. In Romans 8. No wonder the gospel is good news and we hear about the vulnerability, the experience of fires and floods, droughts. And we need to say there's an advocate. And this advocate will represent you before God and help you and strengthen you. And even if the distress continues, you're not on your own. And I'm with you too. We're with you. And Jesus is with you. So John 14 is well worth a long reflection, prayer, and then obedience too. I want to finish by just having us close our eyes and pray for a few minutes and perhaps name something that is really horrible at the moment for you or somebody you know. And uh, let's just consider that. So let's pray. Father, we're just going to spend some time thinking about tough situations, people who are really struggling. We're going to name them in our minds, imagine what's going on for them tonight. Perhaps it's in our own lives that things are just not good. We're going to name that, imagine that, sit with that for a few minutes and feel some of the pain. Lord, I know that for myself, when that happens, sometimes I just want to run away from trusting you, do my own thing, get angry, rebellious, independent, stubborn, but Lord, teach us to obey you, to hold on, to listen, to wait, even to rejoice, to believe. Father, whatever we're thinking about in our heads, be our advocate through Christ, through your spirit. As a church, may we be your hands, your voice, your help for people, neighbours, people we might have met last week at the festival. May we be their advocate in the power and the name of Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. Lord, you've taken up your home, your dwelling place in your life. We pray you'd be really comfortable because our hearts and lives belong to you. And when we lament or groan or have no words, we thank you that you do the work at the worst times. And we bless you for your words in John 14. In Jesus' name.